Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. I don't know. My, the first house I purchased, Whitefish Bay, I, I remember sitting at the closing, and the guy we were buying the house from said, you know, you might want to buy the extended warrant, warranty for the furnace because furnaces go out. And I remember thinking, furnaces go out? I don't even mean furnaces go out. I, I remember my parents' house. I don't remember furnaces going out. But anyways, I, I did it. I was glad I did it because at the time, the house we moved into had this new kind of space-age furnace made by Amana, who no longer, I don't even know if the company's in business, but they certainly no longer make furnaces. And this was some sort of fancy, efficient thing that also drove the hot water heater and stuff. And yes, this furnace went out. See, they had test marketed the furnace in Dallas, Texas, and it worked okay in Dallas, Texas. But the needs of a furnace in Dallas, Texas, are much different than the needs of a furnace in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And this thing went out. Now, I think it is a waste of spirit to either love things that can't love you back or to hate things that can't hate you back. But I hated this furnace because, you see, this furnace, this furnace knew when it was Christmas Eve and it would die. It knew when it was New Year's Eve and it would die. The furnace never went out at like 10 o'clock on a Monday morning Uh uh-uh, when it was easy to get people there. It picked the worst times to go out, and I think this furnace knew that. All right, I had an experience kind of like that on a lesser level last night. In our house, we have all these smoke detectors, and the smoke detectors are wired into the, the ceiling, but they also have a battery backup. Now, I understand that what you should do is you should every year, you know, go through and take these things all apart and, you know, put in new batteries. And, and at some point in time, I, I will do that. But this is now the third time. So it's the middle of the night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And the dog wakes up, and she's agitated. And that, that's, that is very, very unusual because normally she sleeps through the night. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And I hear this, like, annoying chirping coming from upstairs. And, and yes, it's another one of our smoke detectors because what happens is, even though it's plugged in and it's hardwired, when the battery starts to, like, wear down, it, it emits this really, really annoying chirp. So there I am. Two o'clock in the morning, you know, standing there on a stepladder trying to dismantle this thing. And it was reminding me of the furnace because it was like, okay, why, why, this is the third time this has happened with the various smoke detectors we've had. And again, it's never at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's never at two o'clock in the afternoon. It's always like at two or three o'clock in the morning. I swear these objects know when that is going to happen. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, couple different postings. One, eh, this was a little bit of an ethical one, Friday night. So Friday night, my wife and I go out with a couple friends of ours to dinner. And we go to a very, very popular restaurant that has this big surface parking lot. And I drop I drop the ladies off. It was Fran and two friends, uh, 
two female friends. I drop them off at the front because I am a gentleman. So I'm circling around looking for parking spaces and looking for parking spaces. And there's none because the lot is, is full, except there is this spot that is open. And I'm wondering, why is this spot open? Well, it's open because if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, you will see the way some jack wagon parked in the spot. So I, I'm looking at this, and finally I decide, you know, I'm going to force my car into this, and, and I'm, I'm ultimately able to squeeze in. And then I thought, you know, it's time to share this. So I, I've, I debated whether I was going to take a picture showing the license plate of the car that was parked in this fashion and ultimately decided no. But if you want to see, again, a, a lesson for how not to park as we move into the holiday season, you can see the way the car next to my car was parked on Friday night. If you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 as we approach the Christmas season, please don't park like a jack wagon in crowded parking lots. The other video that I have, and this this is just absolutely priceless. And it, I mean, my caption is, about that $15 an hour minimum wage for fast food workers. This is the Popeye Chicken Restaurant on 76th and Good Hope, right? It is a cell phone video that a customer took. So this guy is in, and I, I would describe it to you, but this is one where a video is worth like 10,000 words. The guy is in the, he's in the restaurant waiting to order his chicken sandwich. And a fight breaks out, not among customers, not among customers and employees. A fight breaks out among seven female employees at the restaurant. And and it's like a Pier 6 brawl. You've got these ladies that are jumping over the counter. They're throwing stuff. They're wailing on each other. And and everybody's just kind of standing around watching this. Now, they they say that seven employees have now been fired as a result of this, including the assistant manager. I I guess there's a couple reactions I have to it. First of all, really? Okay, and and this we're talking about $15 an hour for people? Okay, but secondly... I go into fast food places all the time. I've never seen so many employees. I mean, I just, it's like there's seven involved in the brawl. There are these guys that are standing around. Presumably there's people there. It's it's one of these things where you just kind of shake your head and go, wow, wow. Um, But that's the Popeye's chicken. Really makes you want to go out to the Popeye's Chicken Restaurant on 76th and Good Hope. You can check out the video. Um, It's a Channel 6 video, but um, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. That's the Twitter. All right, here's the deal. If you are of a certain age, you will remember the old Capitol Court Shopping Center. It's it's around like 60th and Capitol is the, the general area. They don't call it Capitol Court anymore. They call it the Midtown Shopping Center. There was a point in time where Capitol Court was a, a really big deal. It was an incredibly successful shopping center. You had a Boston store. You had a, a Gimbel's that was there. You had um, a holiday. You had, you had, they had a fun town. They had like an amusement park that was out in the parking lot, a mini one. You had all sorts of stuff that was going on, and people would come from all over to patronize it. Uh, the Midtown Shopping Center, the former Capitol Court, has been in decline for a number of years. And there's really... There, there's not that much stuff that's really left there now. I mean, there's 
there, there's a tire place. There's, a, I mean, a, there's a couple, there's a cousin subs. There's a Foot Locker. There's a GNC. There, you know, there, it, it's just, it, it's gone downhill, I think, dramatically. There's just not that much stuff that would attract people. But there's one fewer thing that is there, and that is the Starbucks at the Midtown Shopping Center has closed down. Now, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel about this. This apparently, the Starbucks, which was a very, very popular gathering spot in this area. All right. The reason why it has closed was because it was unsafe. The alderman, Cavalier Johnson for the area, says he believes it closed because of a number of robberies at the location. After the most recent robbery, the coffee shop decided they can't even be open to allow patrons to come in. So they went to just a drive through thing only because they were concerned about robberies. And that just, I think, apparently, once they'd made the decision that, you know, we can't keep this open to allow people to come in, drive through only. drive through only might work in some locations, but apparently at this one it, it didn't work. So so they, they've closed because of, of the robberies. All right, and so the alderman is quoted in the Journal Sentinel is talking about, hey, you know, th- this isn't just about a coffee shop. It was about a community. It's where people meet. It's where business happened, et cetera, et cetera, and it's going to create a void, all of which is correct. Here's the thing that's interesting, though, and this is what the alderman says. I blame this, I blame part of this, part of this, on the perpetrators, the criminals who robbed the place. But I blame part of this, too, on the direction the mall ownership has on this place. It seems like they don't care. He thinks Starbucks would still be open if security had a presence there. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, apparently crime is so out of control, number of robberies, that you have to, the Starbucks just has to close. First they say, okay, we're just not going to allow people into our into the store to do walk-up stuff. We're only going to drive through. That doesn't result in enough business. But it's because of the robberies. And the alderman says, well, obviously in part it's because of the criminals. But, you know, mall security should have more, secu- mall, the mall should have more security. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it fair to blame? either Starbucks or, in this case, the the mall, for, I I guess, not being able to deter so many robberies that the Starbucks ultimately decided it was unsafe to stay open. 414-799-1620. And and look, I I think it's unfortunate that this store has to close, but I don't think it's the problem of the mall. It's the problem of the out-of-control crime. And I don't fault them at all if they've decided that, you know, hey, we can't stay open because, you know, we're afraid for our employees or we're afraid for our other customers. That's the underlying issue that you got to get a hold of, which is the fact that apparently this was perceived as an easy target to rob. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, you're going to blame the mall because there's so many criminals in the area? Really? We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Look, look here, here's the deal. And this is what the aldermen for that area, and we're talking about the old Capitol Court area, like 60th and Capitol, 57th and Capitol, and the mayor 
and other elected officials and quote-unquote community leaders need to realize, and that is that businesses can go wherever they want. You know, businesses can open up everywhere, and businesses are in the business of making money, and that's not a bad sort of thing. And, yes, you have places like Starbucks, which are, I mean, they, they end up being community meeting spots, and that's great. But the bottom line is... You have to understand that if you have areas that are crime-ridden and out of control to the point that the business decides we can't safely operate anymore, well, then they're going to do what the Starbucks did at the the Midtown uh, at, at Midtown Shopping Center. They're going to close because they're not going to put their employees at danger. They're not going to put their their profits in danger. They're not going to put their other customers in danger. And and you can say, well, they they should have put more security in place. Now, all right, well, at some point in time, you have to make a decision. You know, do we want to be in a place where it's so unsafe that we have to provide this huge security presence that's there? Or do we want to really try to figure out where the problem is? And where is that problem? That you have pockets in the city of Milwaukee where crime is absolutely out of control. And this is what you see ending up happening. Businesses are mobile. Businesses make decisions. Businesses say, hey, we, we just can't continue to operate here. And, I mean, think about this. I understand that Starbucks was probably great in that area, but apparently it got so dangerous that they couldn't even open their doors to allow people to come in, so they had to go the drive through route, and that just didn't work. Jeff in Racine. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I went to high school with you, Jeff. Oh, great. Uh, Jeff Keller. Okay, sure, absolutely. Hi. What do you think? Uh, Well, I think it's got a lot to do with the area in which it's built. Um, It's the same thing with the area in which I lived in, um, in Glendale, way on the south end there by Lincoln Park. Mm -hmm. A lot of, you know, the property value went down. You get crime around there. And it's not the fault of the mall. It's the fault of what's being built around there. Well, or, and, or right, or whatever. All that It's not the mall's problem. It's not Starbucks' problem to try to figure out, you know, how to solve the crime problem. If they get robbed after a certain point, you're like, hey, we're, we're just, we're, we're going to go to a place where we're, we're not going to have the place held up on a regular basis. Exactly. So, you know, all, so long as crime is happening around places, this is going to continue to happen. Businesses are going to shut down, and unfortunately, that's... Uh, right, it's the reality. No, thanks for the call, Jeff, and I remember our, us from our high school days. But that see, some people say it's a chicken and the egg thing. You know, what, what happens, you know, if, if, you have, if you have businesses, that's going to lower the crime rate. Okay, that's fine, but, you know, if you've got so much crime and so out-of-control crime... Businesses aren't going to open up there, and there's no amount of incentives or begging that you can do because, again, the crime is going to win out. And it's not the fault of Starbucks. It's not the fault of the mall. I mean, that they don't want to turn their place into an armed encampment. I think you got to figure out why are there so many criminals that are out there, you know, apparently viewing, in this case, the Starbucks as an easy target. Lee in Green Bay. Lee, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, thank you. Hi. Um, Jeff, I'm a, I'm a former Milwaukeean, and, um, and I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've lived a half block south of that, 
that uh, that shopping center for ten years. Okay. While I while I worked for the major retailer that that was in the area, and I managed stores for for that for that retailer, and took me to Green Bay. I grew up in that area. Graduate of Washington High School. I know that neighborhood from back when it was a nice area to live in. Sure. Nice small brick, nice small brick homes just south of there. We used to hang out at Capitol Court, take take our kids there when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was a, it was a safe place, and they did a lot of business. It is not. I'm just echoing what your former caller said. I'm, you know, it's not a. It's not the responsibility of a retailer to have to build a fortress to protect the business. <laughs> right. You know, I it's funny. You sh- yeah, it's funny you should mention that, Lee. Because I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up. You're right. The they, Capitol Court was where they had the Cookie Cookie House. I mean, I I can remember on Sunday afternoons oh, yeah. we would go over there to shop, and there were a number of different places. And you didn't. Fe- there were movie theaters that were there. You did not feel unsafe. Now, apparently, you know, the Starbucks can't even stay open, and it's not. Star- Starbucks fault, and it's not the mall owner's fault. Well, and, and if you think of it, what's going on in the neighborhood there? That's where that pl- young police officer was killed on the corner there because of a, you know, the high speed. I, I know your position on, the, on right. the traffic situation on Capitol Drive, right. and so I know that neighborhood. I used to get my, you know, I mean, we live there, but um, the alderman needs to put his office down there and discern what he needs to do right. to stop crime in that neighborhood. Right. And, and the city needs to back it. No, thanks. Exactly, because that's that's what the problem is. And you're exactly right. I love your phrase. You, the employer, the the business can't be expected to turn its place into a fortress because employers have a lot of different choices they can make. And it's like, okay, why am I going to run a business, a store, in an area that's getting held up so often that we've made the decision that we have to close the lobby? Jeff, on top of the Starbucks closing last week, in the last three or four months, the Denny's restaurant and 78th Capital and Capitol in the old Captain Steakhouse building closed, as did Papa John's on Appleton and Capitol Drive. Um, you know, and and the aldermen are obsessed with trying to, you know, ban plastic straws. There, there is a point there. It is, you look at some of the things that they spend time with in City Hall, and it is kind of, you, you get the idea that we're rearranging deck chairs, you know, on the Titanic after it's hit the iceberg. It's not the problem of the mall or Starbucks. It's a problem with the criminal element that is running wild in portions of the city. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, it's head exploding time. All right, here, here, here is the deal. Story in the Journal Sentinel. Southern Waukesha County's only commuter bus route to Milwaukee has been saved for now. Okay, so here's the deal. There is, there's a bus that, that starts apparently in McGuanago. And then goes to Big Bend, goes to New Berlin, and then comes into downtown Milwaukee. All right now, that that's that's fine. It picks up people. The Waukesha County Board of Supervisors, by one vote, has voted to continue this bus line. It was supposed to end service December first. They voted to continue the bus line actually through June of next year. Although after January first, it's only going to make two stops instead of three. All right, so people are applauding. I I wonder, maybe this is a comment on public education where nobody can do math. But but here's here is the deal. All right. This bus line, it has on average 40 people that take it four zero 40 on, on any given day. Four zero. It's down dramatically. Ridership, for whatever reason, has dropped off dramatically over the last four or five years. It's. 40 people that take this. All right. 
42 people take it. The cost per rider, per round-trip ride for these 40 people, $45 per round trip. $45 per round trip for each rider. All right, so let's let's just kind of break this down. $45 per per rider because there's so few people that ride it. Now, now work with me here. $45 a day round trip times times 5. Times 5, so assuming that you're riding this bus every day, that's $225 per week. Let us assume 4 weeks in a month. All right? 225 times 4 that's um you know 450 that's that's 900 dollars per week right 900 dollars per week per month per rider now my guess is that there are a lot of you out there who have car payments that are less than 900 dollars per month for your car Right. I mean, less than nine hundred dollars a month for your car. You could take every one of these 40 people that ride this route. You could buy them a car. You could make the car payment for them. And my guess is that you would save a ton of money. Uh, they pay apparently, like right now, it's like $3.15 per ride. Uh, so that's $6.30, you know, that, that people contribute to that. But it, it's this huge money loser. So you're paying $6 a day, and it's costing you um, $45 per rider. So in other words, it's costing the taxpayers about 40 bucks. 39 perhaps $39 a day to bring people from Maguanago or Big Bend into downtown Milwaukee. Our number 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I I'm I, I have nothing against, you know, public transportation and mass transportation and things of the like, but at some point in time, don't you have to be fiscally responsible? And when you look at, in this case, a bus line that costs so much money and has almost no ridership, with all due respect to the 40 people that end up, you know, riding this, you know, on average, how, how long can you sustain this? And if it turns out, in fact, that they're going to go from three stops to two after January 1st, it would seem to me that that means that there's going to be at least some of those 40 people who, for whom it will no longer be convenient for, and they're going to stop riding. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I understand we subsidize roads. Get it. I understand that. I understand that we subsidize forms of mass transit like bus systems and trolleys and things of the like. But having said that, with this kind of disparity, how long can you reasonably expect it to continue a bus line where almost nobody is riding it and it's costing a literal fortune? Like I say, I mean, $900 a month per rider. Why don't we? Why don't we buy them cars? Wouldn't that make a lot more sense? How long can you sustain something like this in the wake of just no fiscal common sense at all? 
Or do we simply say, well, you know, we, we think it's important to help people who live in McGuanago or Big Bend get into downtown. And so we've got to run this bus, even if economically it makes absolutely no sense to do it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My point would be, un- if there's really that little ridership, it's kind of like businesses. At some point in time, if you've got, even if you've got the greatest business in the world, if you've only got, you start the greatest health club in the world, for example, but for whatever reasons, you've only got a handful of people that are coming in and using it, at some point in time, don't you have to say, just because this is a public entity, it doesn't mean that we can support it. I mean, think of, you know, Think of bus routes that you have that maybe there's more people that are riding. Maybe you could add, you know, extra bus routes where people might actually use it. 414-799-1620. And I, I, look, I, I mean, I understand the people that use this, they probably feel passionate about it, but there's not enough of them to support it. And I wonder whether these people that are elected, I, do you, can you not do the simple math? Jim in Greenfield. Jim, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, you keep hearing about how Uber is ripping off their drivers, you know, and Lyft. Uh, why doesn't the city have a, a kind of a corporation that would do the same kind of service, provide the people with, you know, with the numbers? Right. And uh, you, you could put a lot of people to work. They'd make more money than they're making <laughs> with Uber and Lyft. And they'd have door-to-door Service. Well, you know, I, I seriously wonder, and again, I, I don't, I, I mean, if I used Uber, yes. If I used Lyft, yes. I, I don't know how much it would cost you, you know, to Uber into downtown from Iguanago or Big Bend or New Berlin. But you got to wonder, it couldn't, it probably couldn't cost more than, you know, 20, 20 some bucks a ride. You wouldn't think, would you? No, it wouldn't. I, I yeah. just, yeah. If, if the city were managing it, well, I think they would probably do a better job, but, uh, you know, you, Right. You could give a lot of people some uh, good-paying jobs right. uh, at right. the same time. I, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I'm back with my. It's it's easier just buy people a car. I, I mean, seriously. I mean, you you do the math. It's costing the taxpayers nine hundred bucks a month, four weeks to to run this bus line per person. The people are contributing, you know, six bucks. Uh, let's 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 up it. Seven bucks a day, so thirty-five dollars a week. Seventy, you know, one hundred forty. You know, it, it's still you're talking about more than seven hundred dollars. You know, every month that you're shelling out to run this. Like I say, you can buy people a decent car that they could drive. Wouldn't that make a ton more sense? And if I, I have, I understand. Public transportation is never expected to be self-supporting. But at some point in time, if you've got these riders, these routes that nobody's riding, you have to bite the bullet, don't you, and simply say, we can't afford to do this. Just ask it. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, a number of people are texting saying, Jeff, you've you got to have these numbers wrong. It, it it can't cost that much to run the bus line. I, 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 okay, I have the story in my hand. Looking, this is the, what the Waukesha Metro Transit manager says. The routes had a 42% decrease in ridership from 2013 to 2018. Lowest ridership of any Waukesha Metro Transit route. I quote, the cost per ride is currently sitting at around $45 per rider per round trip. 
the number, which is largely government subsidized, has increased by around $27 per round trip since 2013. So the cost of running it goes up. The number of riders has gone down, so the cost per rider goes up. Um, let's see. The One of the riders says that she pays thirty one fifty a week for the service, and that's going to go up a little bit. But no, that, those I, I understand. It's staggering. How could it cost that much to run a bus line? It does. It, it does, which means if it's costing that much to run a bus line that almost nobody is riding, how can you expect the taxpayers to subsidize that? Think of all the money that you could do. And I'm not saying pull it out of transit, but, but think of what you could do with those thousands and thousands of dollars that you could invest in other bus lines that people are actually riding. Brett in Wauwatosa. Brett, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Brett. I just... Again, the point that we're subsidizing someone else's car, and, and in the case of McGuanago or something, I think the percentage of people that don't have a car that actually use this service has to be marvelously small because they're getting picked up at a central location somewhere yeah. out there. They have to drive from their house yeah. to that location. This right. is just this ride share. Right. So we're subsidizing this person's per mile cost. Yeah, what right, car. right. What what a good point. So like what you're saying is that that this isn't necessarily we we shouldn't assume that all these 40 riders all of them don't have cars. A good portion of them probably do. They've just decided, hey, they'd rather ride the bus or avoid parking in downtown Milwaukee. So it's a convenience as opposed to a necessity that's heavily government subsidized. Yeah. No, thanks to call. I mean, that, that's that, that's true. It would be interesting to know that of those 40 riders who are on th- this, this, you know, how many of them could, you know, could get transportation into Milwaukee if they wanted to, but it's just cheaper to take the bus. Because I, I understand. I mean, if you're paying seven dot thirty one bucks a week. OK, sure. Then, then you don't you don't have to worry. You don't have gas. You don't have oil. You don't have wear and tear. You don't have to pay for parking in downtown Milwaukee. It's a more convenient way for you to get there. But nevertheless, you, you have alternatives that you could get there. I mean, I do wonder, are, are the 40 people, do they not have cars? Probably my guess is, to your point, Brett, probably half, maybe more have cars. They just choose to take the bus because it's cheaper, etc. All right, which raises even the larger question of why why are the taxpayers paying for that? And again, I appreciate that we subsidize the roads. We subsidize public transportation. But if these numbers are right, and I have no reason to believe they're not, you do this math, you say to the people, in this case it's the Waukesha County Board, how, how can you justify something like this for a handful, a statistically insignificant number of people. And I'm not demeaning those 40 people. It's just there's not enough of them to make any, to, for this to make any sense at all economically. And unless you're completely and totally flush with dough in Waukesha County, which I don't think is the case, looks to me like this is an incredible waste of money. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. There are panderers, there are shameless panderers, and then there is Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg is the 77-year-old billionaire who is at least flirting seriously with getting into the Democratic race for president. 
Bloomberg, besides being a millionaire and being the, the name on like Bloomberg News Service, Bloomberg's elected official as an elected off official, his, his claim to fame is he he became the mayor of New York, I want to say 2001 or 2002 after Rudy Giuliani, and he served three terms until um, he, he left office 2012 or, or whatever. Um, Bloomberg known for many things. He's the guy that doesn't think that you should be able to legally consume big sodas. He was the guy that declared the war on on big soda. People don't need to be able to buy a 24-ounce thing of soda. He's also a guy who's very, very um, active with gun control and tried to restrict the rights of people to own firearms. All right, so that's it. He's also controversial on the left, now, this is, I mean, those would be issues, okay, gun control, all right, let's take guns away from people. That that kind of fits in with somebody who wants to run as a, a center-left to a left-wing Democrat. Let's try to restrict the ability of people to drink sodas. You know, okay, that that's consistent with somebody who wants to run as a center-left or a left-wing Democrat. Where he is vulnerable is for years and years, in an effort to control crime in New York, which, by the way, actually worked out a little bit, he was responsible for an aggressive, what they call, stop-and-frisk policy. What he did was he looked at the high-crime areas of New York, and what he did then was he essentially flooded those areas with police officers, and the instructions the police officers had were, you know, we want you to be uh, aggressive. Now, the the law says before you can detain somebody, you have to have, you know, reasonable suspicion that there, there's been a crime that's committed. But, you know, as a police officer, even without reasonable suspicion, you can walk up and you can engage people, you know, that you see that you wondering if they've committed a crime or maybe committing a crime. You don't need any reasonable suspicion as long as, long as you don't detain them. But his policy was we're going to flood the high crime areas of New York with police officers and we're going to instruct these officers to be aggressive in going up and and trying to you know figure out what people were doing on the street. Now, he went way too far with this because what he did was he imposed a quota system. You know, and, and the cops themselves were saying, look, you know, we, we, we're all in favor of this stop and frisk type of stuff, but, you know, we're, we're being evaluated. You've got this quota based on, you know, how many stops we make and things like that. And, and I think that was going too far. But the basic concept that we're going to flood high crime areas with police and we're going to encourage them to be proactive, I, I think, was a strategy that worked. All right, but here's the problem. Here's what happened. If you look at the highest crime areas of New York, they tended to be areas where the population was mostly, it was a majority minority population, maybe black, maybe Hispanic, you know, whatever. But that was just, that was just the reality that, you know, you've got, you've got more crime. If you look at some of the areas where there was the highest crime rate, it was also areas where there was the largest minority population. Now, I'm not drawing any sort of causation, but it's just the reality. It's like saying, okay, you know, we've got choices as to where we're going to send police officers. We can, if we're looking for drunk driving, we can have them waiting outside a bar that's open up at two, uh, open at 2 o'clock in the morning to look for people who might be liquored up leaving the bar, 
or we can concentrate resources. We can have police officers sitting doing drunk driving details outside of a church at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Well, if you're trying to get drunk drivers, you're, you're going to go you know, to the area where you think they're most likely to be, coming out of the bar parking lot, right, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Similarly, if, if you want to try to get a handle on crime, to me it always made sense to go into the areas, regardless of whether, whatever, forget the population, man, I don't care if people are white or black or brown or green or blue or orange. If you want to stop crime, don't you go into the areas where there is the highest presence of crime and, you know, you know, again, try to be aggressive in figuring out what people are doing on the streets. Well, what happened was, so they do this policy, and in what I, I don't think was surprising or shouldn't have been surprising to most people, what they find is because they are concentrating in high-crime areas that tend to have larger minority populations, the number of people that they are stopping as part of this stop-and-frisk thing tends to be disproportionately members of various minority groups, even though you know there, there's not a there's not a higher portion of arrests of people, um, but there is a higher proportion of stops, which to me is a reflection of the fact that, gee, you know, we're in a community where there's a high crime rate and the population of the community is, say, like 80 percent minority or whatever. So he's been criticized by the left for that that policy. This is discriminatory, et cetera, et cetera. All right. He's never backed down on this. He's always argued that he thought this was the right thing to do because it was necessary, again, to try to be proactive to get police, you know, to to stop crime before it happens, kind of like a broken window sort of thing. He's always defended that until yesterday. Apparently, he goes and he gives this speech um, to a, a largely he was speaking of a minority um, a minority church I think and he says okay you know yes we pursued this strategy I've thought about this and now I've decided that I was wrong and I was sorry all right now now let's understand what's going on here this is pandering in the extreme Bloomberg is thinking about running as a Democrat for president of the United States he understands that in order to get anywhere, he's going to need support among the minority community. He gets that. So this is an area where he's vulnerable. So for the first time after, you know, 12 years in office and however many years out of office, he's now decided, well, I'm, I'm going to come out and do a mea culpa. Gee, I was wrong about this, and I was, I'm really sorry that we ended up doing it. Okay, number one, I guess I have two takes on this. Number one, I mean <laughs> – Really? This is the time that you do it? You've had all these years. You had all the years when you were the mayor. If you decided that you thought the policy was wrong, you could have changed it. Then you've had all the years since you left office, 2013, I believe, and you could have come out and said you were wrong. The idea that now and only now, after you've decided that you're running for the Democrat nomination for president or you want to, that this is when you apologize tells me that, number one, you're a panderer in the extreme. But number two... I, I, I don't think he has anything to apologize for, big picture. Now, the way they implemented this, like I say, with the quota-driven thing, that caused a lot of heartburn, even among the cops. They were saying, well, we shouldn't be judged by this. But the general concept of trying to be proactive in high-crime communities, regardless of, of what the ethnic or racial makeup is, regardless of whether it's a majority white district or a majority Hispanic district or a majority black district, I don't think he should have to apologize for that in the first place. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, don't we want the cops being proactive? And I think a lot of people in New York would tell you that this stop-and-frisk strategy, it, it worked. Now, I think in some respects it was poorly implemented. There's things that they could have and should have done to make it more efficient and avoid constitutional issues. But as a concept, as a concept, don't we want police being aggressive and don't we want them primarily concerned with the high crime areas? 414-799-1620. I think it's... It's appalling that Bloom, I think it's pandering that he decided to apologize. And secondly, I'm not sure he really had anything to apologize for. We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, I mean, I, I think... I think most of us would agree that we'd like to have more of a police presence, more proactive involvement. If you see people who are behaving suspiciously, engage them and figure out what they're doing. And I don't know about you, but I don't care whether that person is white or brown or black or green or orange. If they're behaving in a suspicious fashion, I, I, I'd like to see the police try to figure out what they're doing in an effort to maybe deter that person from, I don't know, walking into the Starbucks at Midtown and holding it up. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff, did the increased police presence work and decrease crime? The answer is is yeah. In, in New York, I mean, the stop and frisk policy gave the police widespread authority to detain people they suspected of committing a, a crime. Um, New York City police officers concentrated in the higher crime areas, which, for whatever reason, tended to be uh, again predominantly majority minority areas. But but that's if if you look at crime in lots of urban areas, that's where it tends to be concentrated the most. You have more crime in certain, you know, in certain zip codes in Milwaukee than you do, for example, in in River Hills or in Whitefish Bay or in Bayside, which isn't to say that you don't have crime in Whitefish Bay or Bayside or River Hills, but you don't have it in the same proportion. So if you're going to concentrate police resources, doesn't it make the most sense to go into those areas where you have the highest crime rates. Now, police, you know, the instructions were, okay, we, you, you want to have a reasonable suspicion that people are breaking the law. Now, because of where they did this, and, you know, again, it, it ended up that there was a disproportionate number of people who were members of minority groups that were stopped. All right, that that's just the reality of this. But but yeah, what they found was that that the crime rate did go down. Now there were all sorts of problems, like I say, with the way Bloomberg did this, including the quota driven thing. But for a while, it appeared that he was less concerned with appearances and more concerned with results. And by results, I mean more concerned with trying to make the community a safer place, a safer place for everybody to live. And it, it largely worked. But now, because he wants to be the Democratic candidate for president, recognizing he needs the minority vote, well, now you've got to backtrack and now you've got to apologize for this. And and I guess if if he sincerely wanted to apologize, he had many, many, many opportunities to do that over the course of the last decade. To do it now tells me, again, this guy's just another politician 
who's trying to weasel out of decisions. But larger points here, I mean, I, I don't know that he really has anything to apologize for. They probably should have fine-tuned this program. And like I say, there's issues with the way it was implemented. But as a general rule, I don't have a problem with concentrating police resources in high-crime areas in an effort to try to deter people from committing crimes. Al in Wales. Al, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I agree with you 100%, Jeff. I'm a very, very left uh, uh, voter, uh, very, very Democratic, but I agree that this should be the emphasis. Um, You talked about uh, a crime proportion by zip code. This is where we should have this type of police activity. Well, 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 right, and it it just it only, I mean, it it only makes sense if you're going to do, you know, if if you're concerned with okay, reckless driving or speeding, wouldn't you start in the areas where you have the most examples of of reckless driving? And I'm not saying there's not reckless driving that goes on all over, but don't you concentrate in the areas where it's worse? You concentrate your resources in the high crime areas, don't you? That's absolutely right. That's what it's proportionate. Yeah. And and to hell with the ACLU. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, th- see, we, we can reason. Thanks for your call out. See, th- again, this is not I'm glad you called. This is not one of these conservative liberal sort of issues. It, it, it's just it's kind of a common sense issue that's there. And I understand that this ruffles feathers sometimes when you do it. And I understand that there's some people who come to believe the police, it's an occupying force. Oh, look, they're, they're jacking up, you know, all of this, the, too many of this type of person or too many of that type of person. And I, I, I understand where the argument comes from, but the flip side is if these are the areas where people are committing crimes, all right, I, if, if I lived in an area I mean, forget the racial makeup. I mean, I don't care what the racial makeup of the area is. But if I lived in a high crime area, I would want the police to be aggressively, you know, searching out people if they had reasonable suspicion that might be carrying a weapon. And and I don't care if they're white or black or green or blue or orange. Those are the people that I want uh, to be investigated. Jeff, I'm a recovering liberal like you're a recovering lawyer. If four guys are standing in a corner hanging out, I, I want them checked. I don't care if they are purple um yeah that's you know that's that that that's it it's one of these things that makes sense and unfortunately in our politically correct environment we can't say that okay coming up in a couple minutes it's a story that's getting national attention i just sent out a link on on my twitter account you can follow me at jeff wagner 620 it's a conservative talk show host who says he was fired for not being supportive of the president Actually, it's a lot more complicated than that, and this might surprise you. I'm not too sympathetic to the guy's cause. I will explain. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. What did he think was going to happen? I, I sent out this story is getting a lot of attention in, in talk radio circles. And my, my guess is that most of the hosts that analyze this are absolutely outraged. Well, I'm I'm not. Uh, and and here, here's the story. If you haven't heard this, there is a um, I, I sent out a you can I've sent out a link to this story, but it, it's all over. It, uh, but if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. It involves this guy who is a part time 
talk radio host in Denver. His name is Craig Silverman. He is, well, I'm a recovering lawyer. He, he is a, a lawyer. He's a guy who was a former prosecutor and former defense attorney, and, and he's, he's, he practices law. Well, in his spare time, and I emphasize spare time, he does talk radio, and including like a Saturday morning radio show on one of these stations, 710 KNUS in, in, um, in Denver. So he's also a guy who it sounds like sort of takes a nuanced view of the world, kind of like I do. So I can relate to that extent in that I, I know I infuriate people on both sides of the aisles because I do not buy into the notion that President Trump is the Antichrist that can do absolutely nothing wrong. And I will say that from time to time. And then whenever I do that, I get all the texts and the hate email. Oh, you're just this Republican stooge. And then if you're a regular listener to this program, at the same time, you know that there are all sorts of things that I have been very, very critical of President Trump on. And whenever I do that, I get the text saying, oh, my gosh, you know, you're just a never Trumper. And here we'll go work for MSNBC. And, and the, the truth is, I try to call them like I see them. And, and there's lots of stuff that Donald Trump does that I, I believe is good. And there's a lot of stuff that he does that is bad. I continue to maintain for this whole impeachment thing. And we're, we're not going to talk about impeachment today. We'll do it tomorrow, I guess, when more witnesses testify. I, I, should, should President Trump, do, do I ever think it is appropriate for a president to, you know, talk about investigating a, an American citizen with a foreign leader? My answer would be no. Does that mean it's an impeachable offense? My answer at this point in time continues to be no. So that's just the way that I see it. So anyhow, the, the story as it first comes out is there's this guy. His story is he's on his Saturday morning radio show, part-time host, and he's starting to rip on President Trump. Now, this is a conservative station. Most of the listeners are presumably conservative-leaning, and he's starting to rip on, on Donald Trump. And his story is, in the middle of the break, boom, he's in the commercial break, and all of a sudden they pull him off the air. And he's just kind of he's, he's taken off, off the air. Right, so that's his story, and the way it's getting spun is here you have this conservative host who you know ha- dares to criticize the president, and the radio station just pulls him off the air. Well, the truth is apparently a lot more complicated than that, because like I say, this guy, he's a part-time host who has a Saturday morning show. Apparently what he had been doing is he had also been making regular appearances on other radio stations in the market, like on the competitor's radio station. And they had told him not to do this, <laughs> which when you think about it, it's 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 not a surprise. You know, you work for one place. You know, it's, for example, I will from time to time get requests to do interviews on radio stations across the country. You know, that happens during the political season a lot. Hey, they want to talk to you about what's going on in Wisconsin on this radio station in Salt Lake City or in San Diego or whatever. And, and we do those because what's well, not in our market at the same time you, you don't appear you know, on, on a competitor's radio station in your market uh, you don't do that if you're on tv you don't do that if you're on radio period and he apparently was doing this and they told him not to do it and he continued to do it so they pulled him off the air i i guess with as with so many things i i don't know exactly what the truth is i i suspect that they probably, you know, the station manager, to the extent that the station manager, station was of the opinion that, you know, we, we don't want to alienate our, our listening base by 
you know, being, you know, anti-Trump, if that's the decision they made, they have every right to do it. I mean, it's their microphone. They, they get to pay for that. And you as the host can decide if you want to play by their rules or not. And if you don't, well, then go up the dial to the competitor. But it does sound like this, I, I think, is a lot more nuanced. So if you see this story, oh, the guy pulled off because he was criticizing President Trump, I, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I'm not sure he was pulled off because he was criticizing President Trump. I think he was pulled off because he was on competitors' air and they didn't like this. Let me just add this, though. I've been here full or part-time for over 21 years. And in that entire time, nobody in management has ever, ever told me what to say. Nobody has ever come in and said, okay, we want you to take this position or that position. And I know over the years I have taken positions that candidly station management would have probably preferred I not take. Don't you realize this person's an advertiser and you're criticizing whatever? But but that's you know that's just not the way it typically works. So I, I don't know if if it's different at other stations here at WTMJ. Twenty one years it's been Jeff. We've hired you. Use your best judgment. Go ahead. Try to do an informative, entertaining show, and let's let the chips fall where they may. So that's that's the type of environment you want to work in. On the other hand, if the guy had been told, "Hey, we don't want you criticizing President Trump," I think the station has the right to do it. Don't think I'd want to work at a station like that, but I think they have the right to do it. When you see the story, there's really, I think, more to it than the headlines might suggest. What a surprise. All right. When we come back, there's fewer of you out there doing this. Why? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Crew producing the show today and always. Do you know what happens this Saturday? No, I don't think so. Oh, my goodness gracious. And you, you are from, like, the Wausau area. This is big. It's deer hunting. Oh, see, I, I'm not a hunter. All right. This Well, okay, the start of the deer hunting season this Saturday. Matter of fact, Saturday is... This is a the, the deer hunting season in Wisconsin starts the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is essentially as late as it can be this year. And so the, the start of the season is really about as late as it can be. You're going to have hundreds of thousands of people who are going to be taking to the woods in search of deer. This is a huge thing, of course, for the, the generations of hunters who view it as a tradition. It's a huge economic boost to tourism, especially, you know, up up north. One of the things that's also been going on is the number of hunters, while still huge, the number of hunters who've been going out deer hunting has been dropping somewhat dramatically over the course of the last 20 years. Now, for example, let me pull up my numbers here. And and you got to, sometimes you got to be careful to make sure you're comparing apples with with apples because in Wisconsin, there's separate licenses. You can get a gun deer license. You can get a crossbow license. You can get a bow and arrow license. And there's some people that only will get one of those. There's other people that will get all three. But but as far as people who purchased a gun deer license, last year there were 576,000 hunters. That's down 2% from 2017. And if you go all the way back to 1999, so let's start, say 2000 to 2018, 
what you see is the number of people purchasing a gun deer license has dropped by about 6%. Now, as I say, you got to be careful with those numbers because just because the number of people purchasing a, a gun deer license has dropped doesn't mean that some people could have, okay, maybe 20 years ago, you know, they were they were hunting with a gun and now they're hunting with a crossbow. So they're still hunting. So you, you got to be careful. But I don't think you can argue that the number of people who are, are deer hunting, it's less than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I, I think that's a fact. You can argue about, is it 1%? Is it 2%? Is it 5%? Is it 6%? But, but there's definitely fewer people. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I have, for those of you who are hunters and who will be heading out, you know, this weekend, you know, into the North Woods, I have a very serious and sincere question. Um, why is it? Are there fewer of you out there? And why do you think that that is? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, my my take on this is purely anecdotal because like my producer grew, I, I'm not a deer hunter myself. I talk to a lot of my friends, though, who are deer hunters, and the biggest complaint that I, I hear is that they've just had trouble finding deer. And in some cases, they've gone, you know, year after year without even seeing a deer, much less, you know, getting a shot at, at a deer. And while there's a lot of fun that goes along with hunting and it's great camaraderie and it's a tradition, you know, if you go for, you know, several years without, without seeing something, well, all right, it, it's, it's like, okay, well, is this really where I want to spend my time? Now, what they say is that the deer hunt, the deer population this year, they estimate is at an all-time high. So to the extent people have been complaining about not seeing a deer or whatever, this might be the year that that all turns around. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are there fewer people in actuality deer hunting? And if so... You know, why is that? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or is the premise wrong that the simple number, just because the number of gun deer licenses is down, maybe people are just, you know, shifting. Let's start with Todd in Waukesha. Todd, you're on WTMJ. How you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think's going on? Or is there something going on? There may be, you know, with... Um, uh, Outdoor activity being anything it wants to be, I, maybe people are doing other stuff. I've been an avid outdoorsman my entire life. Um, my father raised me uh, to be a deer hunter at 10 years old, and I've been out in the woods ever since. I, I feel, and I don't think you've touched on this, but the explosiveness of the archery season. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're talking about the deer gun season, and that is probably the most popular, but I feel that there may have been a switch from the mm -hmm. rifle season to more archery season. So maybe there's as many hunters that are out there. They're just not buying the they're not buying the gun deer licenses. They're getting other forms of licenses. Yeah, they're likely doing both. But I I feel that I, I'm in the sports and I archery hunt a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a longer season. It's more challenging, and it just offers a greater reward, in my opinion. And I think that could be something to discuss. 
good enough. Thanks for the perspective. Jeff, here's a text. As a millennial, I see more and more of my peers having fearful attitudes towards firearms. I stress to them that the way I and my family hunt is safe and ethical, but oftentimes they're still skeptical. I believe if you were to separate by age groups, you would see the millennials are the ones that are bringing down the overall numbers. 414-799-1620, Jerry in Manitowoc. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Jeff. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh, uh, I, I sort of to piggyback the, the last caller, um, I'm 77 years old, and I really think it's a generational thing. I've got grandsons who are more indoor-oriented, uh, and, and I don't see as many people trapping or doing a lot of outdoor activities anymore. So I agree. I think the younger generation, there are a lot more choices and and uh, a lot more indoor activities. Right. And I don't think it has anything to do with lack of deer. Actually, the seasons are more liberal, and there are more deer around now than there were 20 or 30 years ago. So what would you attribute it to, just a generational sort of thing that, just like like younger people aren't buying Harleys like older generations did, sort of the same kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Do you think it's a cyclical thing? Will it come back, or is this kind of the new normal? I'm afraid it might might be the new normal because I don't see with the smartphones, the computers, the computer games, and Mm -hmm. all the other activities people have to choose from today, I I don't know why deer hunting would come back. I mean, physically, it's not all that comfortable. Right. Oh, no. (laughs) No, exactly. No, thanks for calling me. You're you're up north. You're in the tree stand. You know, it's... Sometimes it's cold, sometimes it, it's snowy, and it's true. One of our texters makes a point that there's a lot of these, that it is, sometimes it's a generational thing. There's fewer golfers that are out there now, and, and that's just, that, that's just, that's true. Stuff, I mean, I, I'm a golfer. I, I love golf, um, and there's still, but again, there, there's fewer younger people playing golf now than there was, you know, when I was in my 20s. 414-799-1620, we continue the conversation. All right, is there anything to be alarmed about? The number of gun deer licenses are are down. Not There's still a lot of people. They're going to have, you know, close to 600,000 people that are probably going to be out there, but that's less than there were before. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, there is a fascinating political story that's out there. And no, I'm not talking about impeachment. We'll probably get back to impeachment tomorrow. I am talking about what is going on in the Democratic primary field. Um, For the longest time, it was kind of assumed that this was going to be Joe Biden versus Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. And that was going to be it. And Warren and Sanders represent the kind of far out left wing of the party. Biden representing the more centrist sort of thing. And they would kind of fight it all out. Well, that's that's sort of been that whole line of thinking has kind of been thrown for a loop because of some of the latest polls. Now, don't send me the text. I understand that there's some people who don't believe polls or things like that. But but I, I think, in general, they're, they're the indicators, however flawed they are, that, that we have. The caucuses in Iowa, 
which is kind of where the whole thing starts. So the Des Moines Register has been polling for months now about, okay, who's leading in Iowa? Now, the whole caucus thing is is weird. It doesn't necessarily translate into who's going to get the most delegates. But the stunning story over the last few days has been the emergence of 37-year-old Pete it's Buttigieg, I think is how you pronounce the name. The 37-year-old mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who has starting to kind of come out of, of nowhere. And, you know, a month ago when they polled, Elizabeth Warren was ahead. Biden was a little bit behind. Bernie Sanders was a little bit behind. Buttigieg, he's the first choice of 25% of the would-be Democrat caucus goers. Liz Warren, Elizabeth Warren, has dropped from 24% support down to 16% support, and Biden and Bernie Sanders are at 15, essentially within the margin of error. But the clear leader has become Pete Buttigieg, who just a couple months ago was polling at like 6%. His number's increasing like a rocket. Now, this is, it's Iowa, and I think the way a lot of people are looking at this, they're saying, okay, well... This is a recognition about, among at least some Democrats, that if you go too far to the left, if you go to Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, you're going to hand Trump the election. And there may be something to that. And there's this kind of reticence. Well, we, we want if we want a center left candidate, we want somebody other than than Joe Biden, who's been around the block and has all this different baggage and stuff. And as a center left candidate, Buttigieg kind of emerges as that option. Now, that that's at least the thinking now. You know, what, a month from now, who, who knows what it's going to be? And will Buttigieg have staying power? Is he going to play as well in New Hampshire or South Carolina as he does in, in Iowa? Okay, well, again, you know, time will tell. I do think, though, that there is something else that, that's going on with the rise of Buttigieg. And I want to discuss that with you. And that, it has to do with the factor, and this is uncomfortable for some people, but it has to do with the factor of age. All the leading Democrat candidates and President Trump are in their 70s. I mean, President Trump is 73. Bernie Sanders is, what, 77 or or 78. Elizabeth Warren's in her 70s. Biden is in his mid-70s. Um, all of them, uh, again, are of a generation. You know, they're they're at the you know they're at the high end of the baby boomers age bracket, and so you've got them that you've got those folks that are in their their seventies. And on the one hand, age is just a number. On the other hand, I do think there's a time when people, both Republicans and Democrats, say you know issues are important. But it's time to turn stuff over to a younger generation. Buttigieg is 37. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I firmly believe that at least one of the things that's moving in, in, in Buttigieg's favor is the idea that he's he's a new face and he's young. And, I mean, I don't know how old is too old to be president. I, I don't know. But I, I think for a lot of people, the idea of somebody who who's not, you know, in their 70s has an appeal that for a lot of people in American politics, conservative or liberal, 
there, we're at a point where we're ready to say, you know, maybe it's time to kind of turn the page. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is age a factor for you? And, you know, in looking for a candidate, again, Republican, Democrat, candidates for Congress, candidates for Senate or whatever, are you kind of of the opinion that, you know, maybe we need some younger people to get involved in the races? And, and you can define younger however you want. Maybe you think 37 is, is too young, you know, maybe 40s, you know, maybe 50s. But are, are we tired of having our choices essentially be, you know, 70-plus-year-old people? And this comes from the perspective of somebody who is closer to being in the 70s than I am to being in my 30s. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I firmly believe that one of the factors contributing to the rise of, of Pete Buttigieg is it is the age factor. Now, that's not the only one. I'm not saying that that's, that's the exclusive thing that's out there, but I think that that is a factor. And I think it's a factor that a number of the candidates are going to have to contend with as time goes on. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Would you like choices involving people who aren't in their 70s? My answer would be I think a lot of people would say yes, candidly, Putting personalities aside, I'd like that choice as well. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, Donald Trump was almost 71 when he was inaugurated. If Elizabeth Warren were elected president next year, she would be 71 on inauguration day. Joe Biden would be 77. Bernie Sanders would be 79. Donald Trump would be 74, almost 75. I think one of the things, and Democrats historically have tended to go for, you know, people in their 40s, John Kennedy, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. I think one of the things that might be driving the rise of somebody like a, a Pete uh, Buttigieg is the fact that he's younger. I mean, how old is too old to be president? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Kenosha. Hi, Steve. Hi, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, how old is too old, and, and, and should we be looking for somebody other than these guys there and guys and gals that are in their 70s? Well, I think just like any other normal working-class person, be it at uh, public or federal, there should be a cap like at 65 or 68 years old. Uh, they should, they too should be able to enjoy their twilight years, if you want to call it. Uh, and like as you were saying, give the younger generation a chance. Right. right. Uh, Clinton, uh, Kennedy, like you had mentioned. Barack Obama. They were all in their 40s when they got elected. Right. Uh, they're making rules. These older generation people, like you say at the beginning of the baby boomers, they're making sounds like they make rules for themselves, mm-hmm. not for the general public. I, you know, th- thanks for calling. I mean, again, I, I think, see, I, I just, I think the American public is, and I, I think this is one of the things that led to the election of Donald Trump. They were looking for, you know, fresh faces, newer people. And now Trump wasn't young, but that, that was the, the 2016 election was just, it's going to have an asterisk there. It was just sort of a, a, a complete aberration. I look, I don't know if Pete Buttigieg is going to be the Democrat nominee, but, but I think 
he has an appeal, and part of that appeal, especially as he becomes more well-known, is going to be that the whole idea of age. Okay, Jeff, age is a factor. Mayor Pete is a gifted speaker. He doesn't rely on tired, um, practiced political talking points. He speaks from the heart, and I find that to be, you know, interesting. Um, Jeff, I, I think you know, 35 to 70 should be the appropriate, you know, range. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if I want to give the keys, the car keys to the Ferrari. I also don't think a 75-year-old is the way to go. Maybe the kid is worth a look. Um, well, I, I, I think that there's, I think that there's that sentiment that's out there. Jeff, Mayor Pete is smart, a veteran and young. I think it's time for the younger folks to, you know, step up. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I think that's a consideration. Now, a number of people are, are raising issues about his, you know, sexual orientation. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I, I don't, I'm not sitting there saying that I think he's, I, I don't know. I'm not saying he's the most electable guy. I, I'm not taking a position other than to say that I have to tell you, there's a lot of Democrat strategists today who are just blown away by the fact that the, at least in Iowa, the candidate that, that's moving up the charts with a bullet is the 37-year-old mayor of, uh, of South Bend, Indiana. He's raising tons of money. He's obviously speaking to, you know, a, a certain generation that they're finding to be, you know, attractive. And I think if I'm the Biden campaign, I'm particularly watching this because, you know, Biden has set himself up as the alternative to kind of the far left stuff. And, and that's the same ground that uh, that Buttigieg is going after. 414-799-1620. Rich in Waukesha. Hi, Rich. Hello. Um, well, I wanted to just point out some math. OK, the average um, average American adult, that means between the age of 18 and and uh, the end of their lifespan yep. is actually 38.1 years old. Okay. okay. I, if you look at it as a standard deviation, uh, the further you get from a standard deviation, uh, I think the more out of touch you are mm -hmm. with the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And one, one, uh, eight, you add 18 years so to 38.1, that gets to 56. You add two, you're getting to 74. Right. We're talking about grandparents of young parents now. Right. Okay. 74-year-old is literally grandparents of people that are ha that are having kids. Right. And 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 Trump would be se right. Trump would be 75 when inaugurated. They're generally right. they're generally you know the 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 uh, economy has changed. Right. The skill sets are changed. Uh, we all know that that Social Security and Medicare need to be dealt with. I don't believe that anybody that is near collection age is going to deal with that because they don't want to disappoint their their uh, their generation. But I also think that if you look at as of 2020, um, frankly, this is, um, yes, I'm an ex-genner, okay, mm -hmm. but... Um, as of 2020, we'll have had 28 years solid of the baby boomers in the Oval Office. Mm -hmm. I think they're way over quota. I think <laughs> it's time to move on. Well, Give somebody else a chance. Get the heck out of the way. 
they certainly are a mixed bag and haven't made the situation better. Well, without Who see, Rich, I'm going to stop you there, Rich, because well, look here, here, I don't want to turn this into a hey boomer sort of thing, but but to the larger point, look, I I, I mean, I say this, I don't, okay, physically, you know, as you get older. There, there are just, you know, you, you, you slow down. That, that's the reality. I can't hit a golf ball. Frustrates me, but I can't hit a golf ball as far as I could do, you know, 20 years ago. You know, your eyesight deteriorates, your hearing deteriorates. Cognitively, well, okay. I mean, cognitively, I think that there are effects of aging. I mean, Bernie Sanders is going to be, if he were to be elected, I don't think he would be, he'd be 79. He would be 79 years old. And yes, I don't mean to be an ageist with this, but that gives me all sorts of, of pause, you know, because look, I, I know lots and lots of, I have lots and lots of friends who are in their seventies. I have friends who are in their eighties. At the same time, I would think, you know, a couple of my friends who are in their eighties, I think they'd be the first to say that, you know, they're, they're just the, the cognitively, they're not as sharp as they were when they were in their forties and fifties. And, and yes, that gives me pause, and I don't know, do I think that there should be a rule saying, no, you can't be president if you're above a certain age? No, but I will tell you, age is a factor. It is something that I consider and will consider when I'm I'm voting because it is a very strenuous job. It is a stressful job. I don't know if there's any more stressful job that, that's out there, and 77, 75, 78, 79, 70, yeah, th- those that gives me pause. Now, is thirty-seven too young? Is, is Pete Buttigieg the guy? I'm, I'm I'm not saying that, but I do think age becomes a, a factor that you consider. Dan on the South Side, Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing this afternoon? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, here I got no problem. Age either way. I'm gonna, as I was talking to your guy, I got a couple of things for you. One, um, for Biden, well, Trump and his people did the work on him and. That's why he is so far down on the polls, and I don't know if he'll ever come out of that. The second thing, the second thing, and this is a big you got to agree on, that's one state, one state that he's up. How many yeah. other states is he going to be able to hold? Well, I mean, I, guess, I think, I mean, look, I, again, I, I said, this this is the Iowa poll. I, 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 I don't know. You can argue that a centrist guy with Midwest ties is going to play well in a, in a state like Iowa? Will he play as well in Massachusetts? Will he play as well in South Carolina? I mean, I I, I don't know. And that's why I, I'm, I'm not prepared to say that this guy's going to be the Democratic presidential front runner or he's going to be the nominee. Got an interesting background. Maybe this is not his time this time around. Yeah, I, I don't know. All that stuff will play out. You know, he was in the military, so he's got that. Sexual orientation is going to be an issue for some. Clearly, that, that that's all out there. But I, I do think that I continue to believe that one of the things driving the increase is is age. Now, 37 might be too young. I mean, people might be willing to say, okay, look, this guy's not John Kennedy. 37 is too young. But I think at the end of the day... I don't know, 79, and I don't mean this to be an anti-Bernie Sanders route. There's all sorts of reasons why I would never, ever, ever vote for Bernie Sanders. But I have to say, age is a factor. I mean, Joe Biden at 77. I mean, I, I watched clips of Biden. He looks a lot slower than he did when he was in his 50s. And I'm not surprised because I think all of us are probably going to be a lot slower when we're in our 70s than when we're in our 50s. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
So on Friday, we talked about the uh, the Colin Kaepernick you know, workout, and we discussed from the perspective of would the guy be a liability? Would you want your team to sign him, et cetera, et cetera? Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, and always, did you follow the debacle of what happened on Saturday? Uh, no. Okay, so what, what happens is that the NFL schedules this workout. All these teams are supposed to be there. It was going to be at the Atlanta Falcons practice facility with like an hour notice. Kaepernick and his team say, well, we're not working out here. We're, we're not going to work out at this facility. We're going to move it to a high school 60 miles away. And just at the last minute, so, you know, only a handful of teams end up showing up. And we didn't like the NFL rules that, you know, they were going to apparently tape it, but they wouldn't let us tape or some, something weird like that. So he, he does this workout. It's only in front of a couple people. And then afterwards, he, he does his sort of you know, the the same shtick he's been doing for a few years. You know, they asked him if he's ready. So this is, I've been ready for three years. I've been denied for three years. We all know why I came out here today and showed it in front of everybody. We've got nothing to hide. We're waiting for the 32 owners, the 32 teams, Roger Goodell, all of them to stop running, stop running from the truth, stop running from the people. O- okay, I, I guess if, if I'm one of the NFL teams that's looking at this, I'm like, I just don't want to touch this guy with a 10-foot pole because even if he can play, you know, even if he can play, he's going to be nothing but a problem. He's, again, maybe the guy transcends the, the sport and fairly, unfairly, you know, he's become the lightning rod for all these type of issues. But if you're trying to build a team and you bring somebody like Kaepernick in, I mean, he's being really clear here, he he's unrepentant about the background, and maybe you should argue you shouldn't have to be repentant. Okay, that's fine, but but you bring him onto your team, and it's not going to be about your team. It's going to be about Colin Kaepernick. Now, there's lots of reasons, I think, why he didn't get a gig, including the fact that he wanted to be paid starters money. He wanted to be paid millions of dollars more than I think some teams thought he was worth, especially when you consider the, the baggage that he's going to bring and the fact that he's going to be an alienating and a polarizing force. Some people are going to love your team for bringing him. Other people are going to hate your team for bringing him. So, I mean, it, it's it's a risk. And I guess my take is nothing that happened over the weekend, I, I think, would suggest to general managers around the NFL that Colin Kaepernick, if you thought he was a risk before, he's not going to be as much of a risk moving forward. And maybe that's what this was intended to be all along. Okay, we have kind of tiptoed around these issues over the course of, of the last couple weeks. I, I'm fascinated by all things pop culture, and I'm fascinated by you know some of the trends that are out there, especially when they are trends that play out in my home. I've told you before that from October on, there, there's, there's never an argument over the televisions, and we have multiple TVs in my house, because from October on, the only thing that my wife wants to watch besides an occasional news program on television is she wants to watch the Hallmark Channel. Uh, the Hallmark Channel, what this year they, and, and again, I include both of the Hallmark Channels, and and now Lifetime is trying to creep into with their own series of holiday movies. But over the course of the next month or so, Hallmark Channels, the, the multiple ones, they're going to be debuting and showing over and over again, 24-7. They're going to be showing one Christmas movie after another. Now, I kid around because, uh, again, I, I watch. I have to watch some of these when I 
go into, you know, the, the bedroom or the den. I, I'm out in the living room or I, sometimes I'm in the den and I'm watching sports or I'm watching, you know, whatever I'm watching. But, you know, my wife is going to be watching the Hallmark Channel or Christmas movies on Lifetime. Now, I always joke around because the, the, these are all, to my experience, these are all the same movie. And and I don't say that in a bad way, but it, it's all the same story. It's It's, okay, girl moves away from small town gets big-time job in the big city, comes back to small town with the idea that the small the company she works for in the big city wants to take over, I don't know, boyfriend old boyfriend's family store. The two of them fight. There's a miscommunication. Signals get crossed. Ultimately, they get together. They fall in love. Girl sees the light. Or, you know, you can reverse it. Or it's the boy that sees the light. You know, but at the end of the, the, the show... You know that it's going to be a happy ending. You know that people are going to be singing Christmas carols. You know that there's going to be the trees. You know that there's going to be a hot chocolate. And everybody gets together, and, you know, it's a happy ending. It's the same movie. Now, like I say, it might be different people in different roles. One might be, you know, the Christmas town. One might be, you know, happy town. But it, it's it's the same movie with different people and slightly adjusted, uh, again, storylines. But it's all the same movie. And my wife is not the only one of her friends that, that watches this. Lots and lots of her friends love the Hallmark Channel. They talk about the different movies. They look forward to the movies when they are going to be debuted. This has been one of the hot trends in television over the course of the last couple years. Matter of fact, Disney, they've just announced this new Disney Plus. All right, there... They're running 20 Christmas movies on Disney Plus, including some completely new releases. So, I mean, what's happening is Netflix doing the same thing. If you are a Netflix subscriber, you go on to Netflix. And I was on Netflix just last night because I'm working my way through reruns of The West Wing and I want to watch The Crown. That just came out again. But they've got this whole section, you know, Christmas movies. So it's Christmas movies, the Hallmark type of movies on Netflix and on Disney Plus and on Hallmark and on Lifetime. This is what is incredibly popular among lots and lots of viewers. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I want you to be honest. I know there is a huge appeal to these type of movies because you see the ratings and you see network after network after network going 24-7 with the, the Hallmark type of movies. Why is it that you like them? Why is it that you don't get tired of them? And why is it that you can watch, if you can, essentially the same movie over and over and over again? Different cast, different characters, different small town, but but it's the same. <laughs> and I, I don't, this isn't being judgmental because, like I say, I'm my, my wife, she's one of you. The greatest, she was just thrilled with her birthday gift last week when I got her, you know, socks that say, if you can read this, I'm watching the Hallmark Channel. And a shirt that says, I'm watching Hallmark Christmas movies and things like that. What is the appeal? Be honest. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I candidly think this is one of the most fascinating trends in pop culture that's really emerged over the last few years. I've got a couple theories that I will share, but what what's yours? Why do you like these shows so much? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Jeff, your wife is awesome. Yes, she is. I want the same shirt and socks. Anyways, I like the movies because they're feel-good movies. They can bring back good family memories from my childhood and Christmas. Hallmark didn't realize they were onto something, and it just exploded. Um, because obviously people want to see goodness, not all this crazy stuff that's going on in the world. All right, let's start with Dawn in Delafield. Hi, Dawn. Hi. Okay. Well, I, I watch as many as I can, which isn't, <laughs> you know, all of them. And yes, I agree with you exactly. They are repeat movies, but the biggest thing is my husband. Well, how can you watch this movie the same as the last one? And the last one, and I just—it it, just what the last caller said. It makes you feel good. You know, you have a stressful day. Yeah. You know, you're not right. going to be sad when you end this movie. Right. You know how you know early on how it's going to turn out. He's going to end up with her, and they're going to be married, and yep. there's going to be yep. the Christmas songs, and and so it, the, the fact that it's like the same movie thirty times really doesn't bother you. It's just kind of fun to watch, huh? They're different characters, yeah. and they have different personalities. Yeah. No. I, thanks. For, see, and I, 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 and I absolutely. I mean, I absolutely understand it. It's one of those things where you turn on the news. I get it. You turn on the news, and it's, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, people are just going after each other, you know, hammer and tong. I mean, it, it's kind of a retreat. It's kind of an escapist sort of thing. You can sit back. You don't have to focus intently on this. Did I miss what they said? doesn't matter. You know that it's all going to all turn out. Christy in Cedarburg. Christy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Hey, um, you know, Cedarburg, Christy, that, that could be the scene of a Hallmark movie. You know, I mean, that downtown area, I could see that as Main Street in a Hallmark film. Right, looking at the chocolate, <laughs> yeah. you know, we get to fall. <laughs> right. Drop their bag. Right. Right. Um, I think part of it is it's just a feel-good thing, and it's, point, it's pointless and mindless in a way that you could just sit there. And, you know, I would, I would just challenge, okay, I look at deer hunting and think it's the same buck running across the field or close to it or the same football game or the same star wars so you know it's just it's just kind of repetitive tv but in the end you just feel kind of mushy goopy and then you're ready to cook a major dinner or (laughs) right with your husband or whatever yeah no i i get it right thing and again i'm not being critical about this i'm just i'm sort of amazed at the phenomena and i I was originally teasing my wife and then i realized that that it you know she's she's not by herself there's lots and lots of you that, that are out there and you see this i mean hallmark i mean they've got they start these things after halloween in october and of course they have the whole christmas in July thing. Here's a text. Hey, Jeff, I feel your pain. Did you also get to watch the Christmas in July movies as well? But the truth of the matter is, I find myself getting sucked in. The movies are violence-free. They're sex-free. Um, yeah, okay. And it's all pretty much happy endings. In the end, you feel a little bit happier. There, there, There is an appeal to that. There's no question about it. Let's talk to Sue in Oak Creek. Hi, Sue. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Well, everybody pretty much said it, but they bring me joy. There's too much no joy in the world, and there's pretty scenery. We know how they're going to end. They're just really, truly feel-good movies that we love to watch over and over again. <laughs> so you don't, I mean, will, will you, will you like binge, okay, between now and Christmas, will you, I think they're, they're going to be coming out with, you know, another 20 movies or so. Will you try to watch most of them? Well, no, because I got rid of cable over a year okay. ago. Okay. <laughs> you say, I can get the same stuff on Netflix. Uh, it's, 
it's like you don't really need the Hallmark Channel. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I miss it a tad, but not that much. <laughs> Got it. Thanks. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm convinced that this is like, and I say this affectionately with a smile on my face, this is sort of like, it's it's kind of like crack cocaine for you know the the Christmas season because you know it, or or popcorn you know you can just, you know you can get addicted to it you just you kind of like watch one and go okay I I I want to see the next I also kid around I I keep saying well what happened if just just one one like had a an unhappy ending or just a, a twist ending where they don't end up together or whatever and everybody that watches these things say well no then it wouldn't be a Hallmark movie or a Lifetime movie or whatever Jackie in Milwaukee Jackie you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jackie. Um, so I'm an EMT intern, and um, I was at a, I won't say which one, but a local uh, fire station um, in Milwaukee yesterday for a shift, and um, the guys got kind of sucked into a Hallmark movie channel movie, <laughs> <laughs> I thought was pretty funny. You know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, there's two guys in the garage that are scrubbing down the truck. There is another guy laying on the floor, fixing a piece of equipment. And then there's two more guys that are, like, totally, <laughs> totally staring. I mean, they are just, they are so into it. It was hilarious. And I, I thought to myself, okay, isn't there some sort of sports ball something to right. be watching? Right. But, but no, they were just so, and they turned it on as a joke at right. first. And then they got, then they kind of got caught up in. I get it. It's like into it, and then and then the tones went off, and we all had to go on a call. Right. So they couldn't. But we came back, and the movie's still going. Oh, okay. And Right there. Okay, he sucked into it is the phrase. I, I wasn't going to tell this story, Jackie, by Will. So it's okay. So last night, my, my wife is in bed before I am. I, I come into bed. She's got the she's got the thing on. So she's going to watch the end of it. I'm going to kind of like fall asleep. All right, whatever the movie was last night, the 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 heroine, the girl was going to see the doctor because she was having um, like numbness in her fingers and she'd been falling or something and she's in the process of like falling in love with the guy and that type of stuff. I fall asleep. I wake up this morning and I, I catch my, I said to Fran, I said, what happened with the girl who was like having the numbness and stuff? Did they figure out what was wrong with her? And you know, and it's it's like I I got sucked in. I was just kind of curious. I mean, what was the medical problem? Did they cure it? How did this all turn out? So, <laughs> it's not just as girls. It's not. No, no. I no. Thanks. Thank, no, I I I don't. I don't kind of. I don't have the. I don't have the high road. Now I admit, I come in, I mock the thing from time to time. I make fun of it, but at the same time, believe me, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the sentiment that's out there. And you do not argue with success. And right now, you know, this is a successful thing. You know, they, you will, if you look back on the history of TV, a lot of it's like copycat stuff. The, you know, you have the one game show that's a hit, then everybody's running game shows. Or you have the reality show that's a hit, and then everybody's running reality shows. Well, Hallmark has come up with this. I mean, this is the thing. It's the Christmas movies. It's the feel-good movies. And now, like I say, it's Lifetime, and it's Disney+, Plus, and it's Netflix. I mean, it's they've, they've hit on a formula that's, number one, been successful, and number two, has had legs. Joan in Greenfield. Joan, you're in WTMJ. I'm kind of kind of bounce off of what everybody else has been saying. You know, my husband sits on Saturday night and watches Fenghuli. And it's the same monster with a different costume on. And he's going after some chick and the whole village is scared. <laughs> and he looks like Dr. Cadaverino. So now I've just aged myself. Right, right. However, I have 
this time of year is hard for me. On Saturday, it's 20 years since my daughter died. Oh, my goodness. And so this is cathartic for me to get through this season. Mm -hmm. I also have a religious background. Not to say that all these Christmas movies are necessarily a religious theme, but that's what Christmas really is. It it is and and this and and it just it just makes you feel good, Joan. Um, have a merry Christmas. Thanks. Okay, I will. take care. Thanks for listening. Thirteen Our, years. Got to take a break. more than two hundred thousand toys collected and nearly forty thousand lives touched.